Well, it's just not Christmas around here at FCC until we get to hear Michael Capetta sing, Mary, Did You Know? Amen. Thank you, Michael. Well, folks, we need those Bibles in hand. Grab those Bibles along with your message notes and a pen or pencil to jot down some notes along the way as we continue our new message series called Simply Christmas. This month, we're diving into God's Word, looking at each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and seeing their unique perspectives on the very first Christmas. So far, we've looked at Matthew and Mark's perspectives on that first Christmas, and today we're getting to the Gospel account that I'm guessing for most of you is your absolute favorite Christmas account in the New Testament. We're getting to the Gospel of Luke. After all, if you've ever seen, it's a, well, what's it called again, a very Charlie Brown Christmas, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you get to the middle of that uh, beautiful little animated Christmas movie, and Linus answers the question that was heavy on Charlie Brown's heart and mind. He wanted to know, what's Christmas all about? And Linus steps up, and where does he read from? Right from the Gospel of Luke. As he reads from Luke, he answers that question about what Christmas is all about. And so we're diving into Luke today, and one of the reasons that we love Luke's account of the first Christmas is because he gives the most detail of any of the Gospel writers. Only Luke is the one that talks about how the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced to her that Jesus was going to be born. Only Luke mentions that Caesar Augustus had that decree that all the world should be taxed, and so Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, to register and pay their taxes. Only Luke mentions that there were shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem and the angels came and announced to them uh, peace on earth and goodwill to men. Only Luke mentions that after Jesus was born, He was placed in that little manger. And so you think about our manger scenes that are at home and our manger scenes that are in Christian churches around the world this time of year. So much of that manger scene was built upon what Luke tells us about that very first Christmas. And so this is going to be good as we dive into Luke chapters 1 and 2. Amen? And I want you to know today that as we dive into some excerpts from these first two chapters, I'd love to to read the full two chapters with you today, but each of them is rather lengthy. It would take 10 minutes just to read uh, every word and every verse from those two chapters. So we'll just look at some excerpts today from these two chapters. And this is what we're going to zero in on. One other reason that I love Luke's Gospel account is because of his perspective on who Jesus came to save. You see, Luke makes it clear that on that first Christmas, Jesus didn't come for the wealthy or for the famous or for the most talented people of the world. Jesus came first and foremost for the forgotten, for the helpless, and for the nobodies. And that brings me hope that Jesus Christ just maybe came for me as well. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Say amen if you're there. All right, we're going to be in Luke 1, verse 5. If you don't have your Bible with you today, I encourage you to bring it with you next time. In the meantime, you can grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. If you're turning in the blue Bibles to Luke 1, 5, you'll find that on page 1012. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, 
observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. That was very wise that he didn't say she's old. You know, she's well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you'll be silent. Not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for they kept, he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Father, You are an awesome God, and we thank You for the privilege of studying Your Word. Open our minds, open our hearts to insights and truths from this great account of Jesus' birth in these first two chapters. Open our hearts and minds to details and to some nuggets of truth that perhaps we've missed over the years. Lord, especially as we get into chapter 2 in a few minutes, Lord, that's a passage that most of us are very familiar with, Lord, but do not allow the familiarity to keep us from learning what You want us to learn today. Help us to focus on Your Word and glean from it what You have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another unique characteristic of Luke's first Christmas account is that he's the only one that gives the details of the birth of John the Baptist, sometimes referred to as John the Baptizer. And as Luke is, is making the case that Jesus didn't come for the somebodies, but instead came for the nobodies. He wants us to see how the angel had come to John the Baptist's father and prepared the way for his coming, who in turn would prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And so this is an integral part of Luke telling the story of that first Christmas by going back a little bit further and sharing with us the miraculous birth 
of John the Baptist. And so as this angel goes to this, this old fella, Zechariah, who's married to a, another senior citizen, his wife Elizabeth, as, as the angel goes to him and announces that they are going to give birth to John the Baptist in just a little while, this is the first point I want us to, to grasp on today. Jesus came for the old and the washed up. That's an important part of Luke's perspective on the first Christmas. Jesus came for the old and for the washed up. Amen? Okay. Some of you, are you feeling too old and washed up to say amen to that today? That's okay. You hang on there. Beginning in verse 5, Luke introduces us to these two old timers, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, there's some good news in verses 5 and 6. Zechariah was a Jewish priest. Could you turn me down a little bit? I feel a little loud of you. Thank you. So the good news, first of all, Zechariah was a Jewish priest. That's good, isn't it? also says that they were both from a priestly family. So both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth come from a family line of many priests. That's also good news. They had a family tree full of priests serving the Lord over the centuries. And then in verse 6 it says, Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. That was really good. These two followed the Lord faithfully. They worshipped Him consistently. They obeyed Him as best as they knew how. But then there's some not so good news in verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Now, in our culture today, it's perfectly acceptable for a couple not to have children. But in Jesus' day, it was pretty taboo. Couples were definitely looked down upon in first century Israel if they didn't have any kids. And in those days, when a couple didn't have kids, most Jews believed it was because of one reason. And that one reason was sin. The Jews in Jesus' day believed that if a couple didn't have kids, it was because God was punishing them, giving them a judgment of barrenness because someone had sinned. And guess who they, they usually blamed? between the husband and wife. Isn't that a shocker? They usually blame the woman. They usually blame the wife. Obviously, she's barren because she sinned against God in some big way. Obviously, she's barren because of that sin. God judged her and closed her womb so she couldn't have kids. Because certainly if she was obeying the Lord with all of her heart and wasn't being smitten by the Lord Almighty, she'd be able to have kids, right? It's as simple as that. That was their perspective. And so the good news is, according to the account Luke gives us, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright. They were both righteous. But at the same time, we can guess with pretty good accuracy what must have been going on behind the scenes. Elizabeth most likely experienced more than a few raised eyebrows from the ladies in town. She most likely received more than a few dirty looks over the years. For years, her barrenness must have been easy fodder for the town gossips. Talking about Elizabeth, and boy, one of these days we're going to figure out what she did to get God so mad at her. Much like Abraham's wife Sarah in the book of Genesis, Elizabeth had gotten to a point in life where she really had two childbearing strikes against her. 
First of all, her reproductive organs were broken. They just didn't work. And the second problem was, says she was well along in years. In other words, she was past the time of menopause. She was past the childbearing years. So even if at one point her reproductive system had worked, she was now too old and it wouldn't work even if it once had worked. So she had this double childbearing whammy against her. She had never been able to have kids, and she certainly at this age would never be able to have them. It would be absolutely impossible for Elizabeth to ever have a child. But if you've never heard this wonderful little truth of Scripture before, let me be the first to share it with you today. God specializes in the impossible. Amen? God specializes in the impossible. Was it impossible for Elizabeth to have a child? Absolutely! But God doesn't care if it's impossible. He specializes in the impossible. God sent one of His top angels to Zechariah to announce to him that Elizabeth would soon be pregnant, would give birth to a very special baby boy, chosen by God to be great in the sight of the Lord, chosen by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth, chosen by God to bring many Israelites back to God and prepare the way for the Messiah. So here's the question of the hour. Who did Jesus come for? Who did Jesus come to seek and to save? Well, for starters, He came for the old and washed up, didn't He? For starters, He came for the old and washed up. Can I get an amen to that? Chew on this. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. And we see clear evidence here in Luke 1 that God had never forgotten old Zechariah. He'd never forgotten old Elizabeth. God remembered them. And not only did God remember them in their old age, God was gracious to them in their old age. And God gave them a son, but not just any son. He gave them a one-of-a-kind son who would be the chosen one to blaze the trail for the coming of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful blessing and privilege given to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Well, I'm guessing that some of you here today feel a little bit old and washed up. Some of us are dealing with some injuries that we didn't have last year. Some of us are dealing with some bad news from our doctors that we didn't receive until recent months. Some of us are at an age where we feel like our best days are behind us, our days of serving the Lord to the best of our ability are behind us. There's not much we can do at our age. There's not much I can do with my physical limitations. And I want you to know, if you're feeling a little bit old and washed up today, God specializes in using those that do not think they have much left to give. I think back on my Life in the church, and the church I grew up in was in Thousand Oaks, and not too far from where the Ventura fires were these last few weeks. And in that church in Thousand Oaks, names just come to mind of old saints that poured into my young life and helped to shape me into the Christian man I am today. Names like Otto Beckenhauer, my fourth grade teacher that had me memorize the books of the Bible and had me memorize the Beatitudes and the 23rd Psalm. And he gave me prizes to incentivize me to learn God's Word. He wasn't above bribing me to get me to hide God's Word in my heart. I think of Otto and all he invested in me, a dear old saint. I think of Otto Beckenhauer. I, I think of Olin McLeod with that 
firm handshake, he'd come up and say, How you doing, Dane? Greet me on a Sunday morning, pouring that love of Christ into my life and letting me know he believed in me. You know, I think about Helen Gaitka, a dear old saint who was a principal at a Christian school. Interestingly, uh, it's a school where Kirk Cameron's kids uh, went to. Uh, many of you know Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains in the early 90s and Christian movies these days. And, and she was the principal at that Christian school for many years, poured into I don't know how many thousands of lives. A wonderful dear saint. From there as a young adult, I went to a church in Anaheim where I met my wife Christine. And I think of Floyd Strader, the pastor there that poured into me and helped develop me as a young pastor. I, I think of Carl Dupre, an older gentleman who would walk kids on a regular basis, a block or two to the nearest thrifty to buy him an ice cream. And on the way there and back to the church, he talked to him about their faith. I think about his wife that poured Lorraine Dupre that poured into so many lives. I think about some of the dear saints that we've had in this church as I've been a part of this church over the last 18 years. My first six months here, I got to know a beautiful uh, lady that served the Lord, Dorothy Love, many of you remember. She passed away about six months after I came. I hope I wasn't the reason. Dear saint that served the Lord so well for many years here at First Christian Church. I think of Marge Wilde who served the Lord so faithfully here decade after decade after decade. I think about Dale McAkron who taught me how to pray. Wonderful man of God. I think about others that have come through this church and poured into my life and poured into so many lives. Don't you think for a moment that you're too old or washed up to be used by God. God specializes in using those who do not think they have much less left to give. But He didn't just come for those who feel old and washed up. We continue on in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For, catch this, nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Not only did Jesus come for the old and washed up, Jesus came for the young and unimportant. Amen? He came for the young and the unimportant. In Mary's day, it was common for girls to get married, catch this teenagers, at the age of 14. Some of you in the front row are a little too old to get married. You were in Jesus' day. It was common for girls to get married around 14, which means if Mary was not yet married, she was simply betrothed to uh, to Joseph, quite likely she was just about 13 years old 
like a 7th or 8th grader when Jesus sent uh, that angel to speak to her. Now, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, first century Israel was a patriarchal society. In other words, it was the men in the society that were large and in charge. The men called the shots. Women didn't have many of the rights and privileges that Jewish men had. They almost always had a lower social status than men. But women could work their way up the social ladder if they married well and if they had children and came from a respectable town and family. But here we have Mary, a young teenage girl who is single. That's one strike against her. She has no kids yet. It's another strike against her. Worse still, she lives in the podunk little town of Nazareth. That's another big strike against her. Remember when Jesus is calling his disciples, one of those disciples asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It had a terrible reputation. No one important came out of Nazareth. So it's safe to say that Nazareth was kind of like the daggett of first century Israel. Nothing good came out of that town, or so they thought. And so here we have Mary that's near the bottom of the social ladder. She's a young teenage girl, hardly has any social status. That's one of the main reasons she was absolutely shocked when the angel Gabriel comes to her and says to her what he says. Notice in verse 28 again, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary must have done one of these numbers. Huh? You can't be you talking to me. No, she's not talking. You can't be talking to me. You can't be talking to me. Do you know who I am? I'm like 13. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I live in Nazareth. Come on. You've got to be talking to someone else. But there's no one else in the room. And she looks at the angel. The angel's looking at her. And she is absolutely floored by this because she thought maybe she's the butt of a cruel joke or something. Because no nobody, absolutely nobody, would consider her to be highly favored. Nobody would view her as being blessed, except for God. Except for God. Luke wrote this Gospel account to offer conclusive evidence that Jesus didn't come for the somebodies, He came for the nobodies. Jesus came for the old and the washed up. But not only for the old and washed up, as the angel Gabriel delivers this message to young Mary, he offers us clear proof that Jesus also came for the young and unimportant. Amen? Amen? In Luke's day, the Roman Empire was filled with women who felt like nobodies because from a very young age they were told they were nobodies. And Luke must have known that because I love this fact of of the book of Luke. There are 24 chapters in his Gospel account. And in those 24 chapters, Luke mentions 43 women. Let me say that a little more accurately. In those 24 chapters, there are 43 references to women. He wanted those young women who felt like they were too unimportant, that no one cared, that they were at the bottom of the social ladder. He wanted them to know that Jesus came for them. Luke wanted the message of the first Christmas to be loud and clear. Jesus Christ came for those who were at the bottom of the social pecking order. Jesus came for the young. He came for the unimportant. And that's so important for us to grasp because the same is true today. Amen? And I've got to tell you, some of the most powerful ministry 
that goes on in the church today is, is carried out by young people, teenagers and young adults. You know how many young adults we have between the ages of 18 25 that are sent out from churches around the world to go to the other side of the planet and share the gospel on the mission field? Praise God for those young adults that say, you know, I'm going to put uh, other things on hold that many of my peers are doing right now because I want to go share the gospel. Praise God for those thousands upon thousands of young adults that go onto the mission field at a young age. I praise God for our teenagers, ten of which went to uh, L.A. this last summer on our L.A. mission trip. And for several days, our teenagers were going to the heart of Skid Row there at the Union Rescue Mission and blessing homeless men and women. I'm so proud of our teenagers that have served the Lord on the mission field, not just one summer, but the last three summers. Because three summers ago, we had a group of teenagers go to the American Indian Christian Mission in northern Arizona. And then a year after that, we had another group of teenagers go to Crown Point, New Mexico, to another Indian reservation and help to build a house for a family there on the reservation. And then this summer, they went to L.A. And I'm excited to announce to you today that we discovered as of last weekend that we get to take a team of our teenagers this next July. Wait for it. Wait for it to Houston, Texas, to help rebuild a home that was destroyed in the floods. Amen? Teenagers, you know, I've said it before, but please hear me say it again. I'm so proud of you guys and what you do for the Lord. Adults, can we give these guys a hand? Never think that you are too young to be used by God. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You're never too young to be used by God in an incredible way. He came for you and He wants to use you. Amen? Amen? Okay. But not only that. Maybe you're looking at this message so far and say, well, I don't feel old and washed up and I don't feel young and unimportant. Well, maybe this third group is for you. Flip over to chapter 2. This is the part of Luke's account of that first Christmas that you're more familiar with. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. Oh, that was perfect timing. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love that timing. That's awesome. Nolan, thank you so much, buddy. You're helping my sermon. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! 
Let's go to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Just as they had been told. Not only did Jesus come for the old and washed up. Not only did Jesus come for the young and unimportant. Jesus also came for the dirty and the despised. He came for the dirty and the despised. Think about it. Of all the people on planet earth that God could have made the announcement of Jesus' birth to, of all the people, He decides to send the angels to the shepherds out in the fields. That amazes me because Jesus came to be the great high priest, didn't He? But God didn't announce Jesus' birth to the priests in town. Jesus came to be the ultimate rabbi and pastor. But God didn't send His angels to announce Jesus' birth to the pastors. Jesus came to be King of kings. But God didn't send the angels to announce Jesus' birth to the kings or the governors or even to the mayors of the local towns. Jesus was announced to the shepherds. What an amazing thing. We said a few minutes ago that Mary was near the bottom of the social pecking order in Israel. But let me tell you, these shepherds out in the fields that night, they were probably even lower on the pecking order than Mary was. Sheep, as I've told you in the past, are really, really dirty animals. Their wool is wonderful for clothes and for blankets. But when that fluffy wool is still on that sheep, that wool gets nasty. And so it's nasty. And if you didn't know this, there's no rolls of toilet paper out there in the sheep fields. So over the days as they go by, not only do these sheep get burrs and parts of tumbleweeds and brush stuck to them, they've got pee and poop stuck to them all the time. And these shepherds are dealing with this day in and day out. And everyone in Israel knew they were dealing with this day in and day out. And so the people of Israel despised shepherds. They never allowed shepherds to be a part of a synagogue. They wanted nothing to do with shepherds walking through the front doors of their church building. These shepherds weren't allowed to testify in court. If a shepherd witnessed a crime, he couldn't go before a judge and share what he had seen. Their testimony wasn't acceptable. They were considered to be liars and lowlifes. When this census was taken, a shepherd didn't have to show up to be counted because they didn't care about the shepherds. It's as if they were not even viewed as fully human. These shepherds were despised. They were low, very low on the social ladder. And yet God announces Jesus' birth to this group of smelly, dirty, despised shepherds. Why would God do that? Well, let me tell you. The messenger angel answers that question for us in verses 10 and 11. Look at those verses again. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Isn't that encouraging? It doesn't say, I bring the rich guys good news of great joy. Or I bring the kings and the governors and the mayors good news of great joy. Or I bring those that are high on the social ladder good news of great joy. Hey, smelly shepherds, I bring you. Good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Not just the people on top, but the people at the very bottom as well. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to others. No, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is Christ the Lord. You see, it would be one thing for God to have this message delivered that Jesus is for all men. It would be one thing for Him to give that message if He had sent the messenger to the kings or to the governors or to the rich guys. That message would not jive with the audience to which that message was delivered. But that message resonates loud and clear when God sends the angels to the lowest of the low on the social ladder and tells those guys way down there, Jesus Christ is for you. That packs a punch, doesn't it? Why did God send the angels to the shepherds? Because they needed to hear that message and not ever for a moment believe that Jesus Christ was sent for the other people, for those that have, not for the have-nots. Jesus blew that out of the water from the very moment He was born by making sure the announcement was given to these lowly shepherds. Let me ask you, do you sometimes feel like you're a bit invisible? Are you ever standing in a room and people walk by you, don't make eye contact, don't say a word to you, and it feels like people don't even see you there? That must be how these shepherds felt. You feel sometimes that no one listens to you, no one pays attention to you. That's how those shepherds felt. You sometimes feel that there is too much dirt and grime under your fingernails because you've been dealing with the pee and the poop of the world and no one wants to touch you with a ten-foot pole. That's how the shepherds felt. See, 2,000 years ago, some shepherds out in the Bethlehem fields felt exactly that way. But they discovered a truth from an angel that I don't want you to ever forget. Jesus came for the forgotten. Jesus came for the overlooked. Jesus came for the dirty and the despised. You're never too dirty or despised to be a priority to God. Think about that. You're never too dirty or despised to be a priority to God. Someone next to you may need to hear that. Tell them that. You're never too dirty or despised to be a priority to God. Go ahead. That's about half of you. I'll give you another few seconds. You're never too dirty or despised to be a priority to God. I tell you, over the years... I've seen with my own eyes example after example after example of God lifting up out of the pit some of those that are dirty and despised. I've seen God transform atheists and agnostics and cult members. I've seen God transform meth addicts and drunkards and perverts and abusers. Those who are in the depths of depression. Those who are this close to ending their lives. Those who were broken and had marriages that were broken. Those who were hurting. Those who had no hope and saw no hope. Time and again I've witnessed Jesus Christ transform and restore lives that were broken and unrestorable. But God somehow restores them anyways. Lives that were unhealable, but God healed them anyway. Lives that were unchangeable. But God changed them anyways because once again, He specializes in the impossible. It's what He does. It's why He came. It's why He's still working tonight and today and throughout every day of every week transforming lives right here in this place. Because that's what He does. He's ready to reach out to you and work on you if you'll only allow Him to. So, what's Luke's perspective? 
on that first Christmas. It boils down to this. Jesus came for the nobodies. That's Luke's perspective on the first Christmas. Jesus came for the nobodies. Jesus didn't come for those at the top of the pecking order. He came for those at the bottom. He didn't come for those who were on the mountaintops, but instead for those who were in the valleys, those who were on their last leg, those who were ignored, those who were overlooked, those who were broken, those who were dirty, and those who were despised. And that includes you and me. Amen? It includes you and me. Jesus came for you. He came for me. Perhaps Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 8-9 when he writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. This Christmas, some of us in the room have a good amount of money. Some of us have a little bit of money. Some of us, let's be honest, are just flat broke. But when we look at our lives from a spiritual perspective, the truth is every single one of us from a spiritual perspective without Christ is flat broke. We are flat broke spiritually without our Lord. And Jesus Christ came, as Paul writes there, into our poverty into our spiritual poverty. He gave up the riches of heaven to come into our spiritual poverty and reach down and lift us up so that we could experience the riches of God in Christ. The riches of forgiveness. The riches of grace. The riches of mercy. And the riches of peace and joy in this season. I know some of you guys are going through some stuff. Whether it's the death of a loved one or an illness or family situations where relationships are on the rocks or a lost job or whatever else it may be, some of us are going through stuff. And I want to speak this word of encouragement into your life this morning. Jesus Christ came for you. And He's not scared off by your pain. He's not scared off by others' opinions of you. He's not scared off even by your own opinion of yourself. The Lord has taught me some important things this year as I've been through some ups and downs in 2017. And one of the most important things that is one of my greatest takeaways from 2017, when I was feeling down in the dumps uh, about six months ago, God shared with me, Dane, when you stand before me on Judgment Day, it's not simply a matter that your critics won't be chiming in. I knew that. But something that had never sunk in is, Dane, you yourself won't even chime in because you are your own worst critic. And I tell you, when the Lord shared that with me, it was like a burden lifted off my shoulders. What a joy to know that Jesus Christ, at this time of year, no matter what others think of you, and even no matter what you think of yourself, Jesus Christ thinks the world of you. And that's why He came to reach you if you feel old and washed up. To reach you if you feel young and unimportant. To reach you if you feel dirty and despised. Jesus came for you. And that is very, very good news this Christmas season. Lord Jesus, thank You for coming. Thank You for coming. Thank You for coming. We love You. And we can never repay You for what You did. I pray, O God, for anyone here that is feeling dirty and despised, anyone who's feeling old and washed up, young or unimportant, 
that you would just impress in our minds and hearts how much you love us, how much you care about us, how much you came to set us free from our sin, from our self-criticism, Lord, when we beat ourselves up and hide from you and your plans and purposes for us because we think surely you couldn't use me. Pray, O oh God, that we would let You work through us. Certainly there are people in our lives, Lord, some of us have family members that need us to reach them in these next few days. Some of us have acquaintances or co-workers or fellow students at school or friends that need us to be Your mouthpiece, to speak of You and to tell them about You. Lord, use us this Christmas season. Help us to be Your hands. Help us to be Your feet. Help us to be Your mouthpieces. We're Yours, O God. Use us however You see fit for Your honor and glory. You came for us. May we go for You. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never put Jesus Christ in charge of your life, what a great time it is to do that right now. So we have this song of invitation.